Oh, hi, folks. Hi, sorry. Didn't, uh, didn't realise you were there. Yeah, just having a little uh, play on the old uh, ukulele there. You're welcome. These are strange times, aren't they? The world. What's happened to it? I blame Alice Allen. No, no, I don't really. Hi, Alice. Hi, yeah. Um, hi. It's it's time. I just thought you know, I was bored. It's Tuesday morning. Haven't got enough to do. I'm basically hiding from homeschooling my children. Sorry for those of you listening in the future. Assuming that there's going to be a future, we are in lockdown. I received a letter this morning from the Prime Minister. B. Joe. The Bojo. I received a letter from the Prime Minister. I presume everybody in the country received I mean, you know, it is nice to know that he's thinking of me, uh, but I presume that he sent letters to everybody uh, while coughing and spluttering in intensive care. That's right, the world is ending. Um, uh, gosh, there's so much to catch up on. I don't even know where to start. Um, schools have closed. We're now, where are we? Uh, over two weeks into uh, school closure territory and certainly over a week if not nearly two weeks into lockdown territory i can't even remember one of um, my delightful students connie described it perfectly as being uh, an existence where you uh, exist in three states it's either yesterday today or tomorrow and even those loosely defined uh, uh, stages are beginning to blur into one. So anyway, happy times. And I thought, what better time? What better time to reignite your listening passion uh, for the Herdwood Mules podcast? Don't worry, the, the usual theme tune will resume. And it's not going to sound like that. Um, uh, than to just you know get cracking with another podcast um, uh, remind you guys that we're out there remind you guys that, that Hurtwood still lives large um, and that there's still stuff happening so we're going to trial a new thing uh, that myself and the lovely Louise have been doing um, a few mornings which is uh, under the heady heady title of Lit Crit Kitchen be quite careful how you say that um where we basically just shoot the breeze about some literature stuff um we did some videos we both looked kind of tired and possibly even a little bit bored um so, <laughs> so we thought um let's just move it over to podcast format and people can just strap themselves into their headphones and have a little listen um this is going to be an atter about othello uh specifically the women in othello um but i think you know we should also really just take requests so if there's anything um, that people want to hear from the Hurtwood Muse podcast then just give us a shout and we'll sort it out um, you know the usual email uh, it's either uh, Sam or Louise and um, just yeah give us a shout if there's anything you want us to talk about or anything you want us to do uh, so we're going to talk about Othello we're going to talk about the women in Othello um, and yeah we hope you enjoy maybe next time I will do some more ukulele stuff all right guys see you later bye <laughs>
Amazing. Oh, we've, we've done it. So this, so F for future ref, this is yep. the one. I think this is going to be the setup that's really going to work. Okay. Um, so, yeah, uh, we were going to have a natter about Othello, Shakespeare's yep. sort of... I don't know, is this a sort of midpoint Shakespeare or does this qualify as late Shakespeare? I'm not quite sure. It's sort of in the middle, isn't it? It's, it's very much in the middle, yes. Um, it's in the middle of the middle. It's in the middle of the of the kind of great cycle of tragedies. So, yeah. you know, it's after Hamlet and it's before Lear uh, Macbeth. So, um, I think, I, I, I genuinely think it's one of his finest in the sense that yes. it's the one that works best on stage. It's the yeah. one that, you know, you can kind of recommend to people who... Yeah don't like Shakespeare and you say, well, actually, you'll find the plot of this quite interesting. So, and, and, of course, because you've got great visual contrast of black and white and all those uh, antithetical balances going on all through the play, there's a lot to kind of catch on to. Um, it's a very so, concise and very taut piece of writing as well. Absolutely. Which is, which is odd as well, given its situation in terms of the chronology of Shakespeare's work, because, yeah. you know, if you compare it to something like Hamlet, which is only written like a couple of years before, Hamlet's a great play, but it is, it, it's crying out for an editor. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? Whereas, whereas Othello... Not another soliloquy. You can run the whole of Othello page page for page almost and yes. it works there's yes. there's no fat on it no. um no. so so this is middle shakespeare this is the middle yeah. of the middle as you said also in terms of historically you know this is right on the kind of um the the, the crux the fulcrum yes. between elizabethan england and jacobean england Absolutely. Um, and maybe we can go into that a little bit as we get stuck into into the play a bit more yeah. um but one of the things that we were i think going to concentrate our discussion on on uh, most of all is the question of the women of Othello. Um, Absolutely. Because he actually seems to be concentrating on female identity more in this play than he does in most of his other plays. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. No. Um, you've got this sort of trio of a very sharply defined, very distinct female voices in the play. And at points they're sort of saying completely different things and coming at things from a completely different angle. And then at points they seem to speak with almost a sort of unified voice. Mm. Um, and it's extraordinarily powerful. Mm. Um, I, so, well, I think it, I think it's a, a, a brilliant play, and I think um, uh, Desdemona, obviously the, the, the kind of key woman in it, um, at the heart of it, is is really kind of set off by the two others, Amelia and, and, mm. and Bianca. Mm. Um, uh, and again, let's, let's let's remind ourselves of the obvious starting point here that you know in any Shakespeare play, he's only going to give us. Uh, a few women, usually two or three, uh, limited, of course, by the number of boy actors or, y y or male actors mm. who can who can play women because women mm. are not allowed to perform. And I think that's actually a very good place to start because um, I would make a very strong case that, that, as you say, this is a play that is very much focusing on um, on women. Um, and I, I would argue that uh, Shakespeare's really exploring the concept of what his society 
in the early 17th century, in this cusp between Elizabethan, you know, this so-called stability of Queen Elizabeth, and actual fact, as, as Hilary Mantel constantly reminding us in her wonderful trilogy, actually, it wasn't such a golden age, and there was a lot of instability, there was a lot of concern about, you know, um, uh, carrying on from Henry's age, about, you know, about heirs and who would take over and so on, so there was a lot of that anxiety. And then in comes James, bringing in this new era. There's this very much a concentration on what it is that's expected of women, and I think that Desdemona um, is being um, presented and examined in that light um, mm, with, mm. with these two others to set her off. So, um, um, and given that her name on one level comes from, you know, uh, the, the concept of the weeping woman, um, mm. I think it is, uh, it, you know, it says, already says a great deal about the, the, the kind of vulnerabilities of women. Um, but yeah, she's, she's a great character. I, 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 I totally agree. I think she, in many ways, <clears throat> is a sort of testament to uh, disempowered women yeah. in, in the 17th century. Um, but, it, I mean, in and of itself, that's not especially radical because on one level you could just say, well, Desdemona is, is, is kind of the, the, the archetypal self-sacrificing angel. Mm. You know, she, she even, she even says, uh, right, <laughs> she, right near the end, doesn't she? Yeah, she, says she, gives, him, she gives him, an, she gives yeah. him a way out of having murdered her, yeah, yeah I, I, which is I, just crazy. Don't, don't blame him, it was all my fault. And you kind yes. of go, what? What does that, what does that mean <laughs> in the context of someone I, that has myself, just been strangled yes. Um, yes. By, by, their, by their husband? Um, so uh, and, and, and in that sense, taken on that level, in isolation, I guess, Desdemona is self-sacrificing angel. Mm. She, well, you see, yeah, so, oh, sorry. I, I was just going to say she's very similar to other quite problematic depictions of womanhood. Womanhood, For example, if we go back to Hamlet again, yes, um, yes. Ophelia is another example of a very similar kind of, of self-sacrificing angel. You know, this is even an image of self-sacrificial womanhood or disempowered yes. womanhood that's been picked up by visual arts you know, with Ophelia in the yes. water and all of this. Drowning so, Ophelia's, yeah. I, but I wonder, whether, I wonder whether if you take the female characters in Othello in isolation, you can read them as quite dated. But mm. if you put all three of them together, Desdemona, mm. the self-sacrificing angel, Amelia, who I guess is kind of the nag or the shrew, um, and Bianca, who is the kind of seductress character... Shakespeare is actually giving us a really rich, varied picture of womanhood there. I think, mm. and he seems to almost be demanding that we look at all three of them together, not in yes, isolation. Very much so. yes. that, they're, that they're sort of always to be treated as a whole rather than as separate um, uh, uh, things. I don't know. I don't know what you. What you well, think I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going to take that on a bit because one of the mm. things that's always irritated me is this idea.
she's the, the, the I think all three of those women are enthralled to men's opinions of them mm. and to men's value of them in that society. Um, mm. and, and, and I'd say that Amelia is, you know, we'll come on to Amelia, but afterwards, but I think Amelia is the desperately want to be loved uh, mm. woman who will do just about anything, even betray her mistress, just to try and get a bit of um, genuine, just to get noticed by, mm. by, by Yago. But, but going back to Desdemona, I think that she, I think what Shakespeare's, in my view, of years of teaching her um, and, and seeing good and indifferent productions of her, um, the best ones, the best testimonies are really feisty. They're really um, yeah. on it. They are, they are prepared. They make, she makes this great choice. Um, you know, she, de she deceives her father, yes, which, of course, is held against her, and is held against her by the whole society. Um, but she, you know, she, she falls in love with this gorgeous warrior, um, who happens to be black? I mean, if he were white, presumably he'd be totally acceptable. But um, and she and she risks everything for it. And having made that choice, she stands by her man endlessly. I think she's just this fundamental kind of. She's followed the rules on what a woman should be, but done it the way that women do generally, yeah. which is see in their terms rather than in masculine terms. So um, whenever things go wrong, she kind of assumes it's her fault. Um, and, and so, you know, when he does murder her, even at yeah. the end, she kind of says, well, you know, I did it to myself, as you say, uh, yeah. tries to cover up. Um, yeah. so, so in a sense, I, I, I would say one very strong, powerful element of this play is Shakespeare's kind of examining what happens when you actually get the kind of perfect woman who, who kind of tries to be the perfect woman of the early 17th century. Yeah. Um, yeah. You end up destroying it. Much as, of course, I mean, you know, it's not just Desdemona that's destroyed in this play, um, apart from, you know, Amelia and uh, Bianca, but Asala destroys himself. So, uh, yeah. again, it's yeah. about these false ideals of expectation mm. of feminine behaviour. It's one element of it. What do you Pick, think about that? Well, picking up on the idea of... Um... Desdemona as the as the depiction of the ideal seventeenth century woman, yeah, and the and the and like you say, the possibility that maybe what Shakespeare is trying to do here, what he's trying to examine as a dramatist, is the almost perverse sense in which perfection can never work you know this, it's a sort of yeah. it's a sort of it goes right back to the beginning of sort of utopian thinking in literature doesn't it the idea yeah. that it's always a, a a nothing it's always a um a, a figment a spirit that we can never capture yeah. um because he defines consistently throughout the play he defines desdemona in terms of the standard binary perception of womanhood in that goes right back to like you know medieval literature and before this idea of a woman either being beautiful yep. or, or being true yes yes and, and I... what desdemona embodies is the impossible uh midpoint between those two things yes she she is both innocent and uh, uh, beautiful, she and is, sexy as well. Yeah, absolutely, mm. and and fiery. Mm. So that yes. you're you're right. A good a good performance of Desdemona, just like a good performance of Ophelia yes. in Hamlet, I think, has to have a bit of grit. Yeah. Um, otherwise, how the hell has she managed to win the heart of this gnarled, seasoned, you know, mercenary warrior? Type? Absolutely. It by, by her sheer, you know, again, I, I, I'm going to say, as you rightly 
pointed out, this is drama, this is theatre. So everything is inevitably heightened because you mm. want this kind of visual contrast. You've got your audience who's got to take all these ideas in over, you know, okay, long time for us now, but mm. you know, around three hours, they've got to have this kind of concept. So, so yeah, I think I think again, he is he's giving us a kind of quintessentially um, beautiful. Okay. Innocent, but feisty, sexy, fiery, mm. driven girl who, mm. who who chooses her own destiny in love and life and, and stands up for it. And um, she's up against all these forces. I mean, it's interesting. What do we hear? You know, again, coming back to how you can prove this, obviously. I mean, we're, we're having great fun just talking about ideas here um, and, yeah. and, and thinking about um, the play. But um, from a scholastic, from a kind of... Um, academic angle you've got to constantly be thinking about how you're going to justify this and yes and, you know, one of the key things is is is, is what do we hear about this before we meet her well she's completely reduced you know to 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 to, to a to, to a commodity, you know. So the commodification yeah. of women in this play is extraordinary. She's a, you know, she's she's bestialized. She's, you know, yeah. she, she's she's it's shocking, shocking, well, it, shocking it, language. It, it's it's not irrelevant in that sense that the play opens in Venice, which yeah. is which is so clearly chosen by Shakespeare yes. as as like some kind of as some kind of shorthand for rampant capitalism you know like er, er, yeah for trade and politics and and that whole discussion that three-way discussion at night between which is a sort of weird twisted (laughs) version of the balcony scene from Romeo and Juliet where you've got Rodrigo and and Iago beneath in the gloom and um uh, Brabantio up high um and and the way that Iago starts the fight Yes. is by framing Desdemona as as a as property. You're yes. robbed, sir. Yes, yes, Look yes. to your daughters. You, yes. uh, and, you he know. Says, and he says, oh, this is Venice, my house is not a grange, you know. Yeah. Not a, this is not a farmyard, you can't rob me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's yeah. all about Shocking. wealth and status Shocking. and ownership. Um, yeah. But, of course, let's, I mean, there's, we can take that point and the, the, the point that you made so well about, about Desdemona being the impossible ideal and needing to have a bit of grit. Yeah. And actually, we can bring those both together and say, maybe maybe there's actually a straightforwardly um patriarchal you know misogynistic reading of this play because let's remember what what perceptions of women you know how they would have been aligned how they would have been oriented in the 17th century it's likely that the average audience member would have straightforwardly thought that Desdemona was corrupt and yes. corrupting yes. and yes. and deeply sort of troubling in yes. all of her actions and all of her behaviour. Yes. You know, she's married in secret yeah. as the as the daughter of a wealthy politician, yeah. uh, the white daughter the of a, yes. uh, who, who's married in secret to a black man. Mm. Um, I, one of the things that I find most sort of interesting but also possibly disturbing about this play is is that misogynistic reading that actually maybe yes. what Shakespeare is exploring here is not the perfect woman but a hugely transgressive woman a woman yes. who who breaks a lot of the rules and defies a lot of our expectations and in that sense what that the way that that 
argument resolves itself is with Iago being a force for the return of the status quo. This goes back to our earlier conversation about Iago about as, as a sun reader. Yeah. Yeah, this idea yeah. of him basically just being the champion of the people yes. and saying, who the hell does this woman think she is? She, is, yeah. she needs to be punished. What do you think about that? that? Yeah. I, I think the whole play is full of it. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, Desdemona just keeps trying to fight it mm. in terms that she knows. And, in fact, it's noticeable about all the women, you know, all the women, all three of the women ask permission to speak, as they always have to. Um, even at the end, Amelia kind of, kind of still has to ask permission to speak. I, I, I think Desdemona knows on one level what she's up against, mm. um, uh, but, but she's so clearly following her own path. Um, um, and, and I think with a, uh, she has a kind of disingenuous sense of, 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 of um, the way the world is that, that is mm. um, um, brilliant to see. But, but just going back to that, that, uh, that commodification and that idea, you know, she's called a land character, remember? She's yes. like a boat, you know, so she's booty. She's Which is a pi- it's sort of a pirate ship, Yeah, she's it? a pirate ship of pride. Um, and she's obviously called a, a, a white you being tucked by... Um, mm, uh, the black you know, I mean, in the grossest of mm. times, grossest uh, terminology. Mm. Um, but when she arrives, you know, it's 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 a fellow who says "same for the lady." Um, and again, yeah. I'm I'm going to go out on a limb and say that if she's a kind of ideal, then on another level, so is he. Um, and again, I think it's very good. I, I had a kind of um, a wake up moment some I don't know five ten years ago when I was teaching this. I saw I, I saw the portrait, the portrait of the. Um, uh, the, the the Moorish ambassador to Elizabethan court yeah. painted in around 1601. So you've got this amazingly kind of um, sexy, dashing warrior figure, which is clearly what Shakespeare's imagining here. Co- yeah. You know, colour, race, whatever aside, what he's what he's dealing with here is this beautiful girl, innocent girl, um, protected white girl, falling in love with the hero. All girls mm. love a hero, um, and so he, you know, and, and all girls also want to be the ones that are kind of going to soften the, yeah. you know, the single-minded, militaristic. What, what is uh, it? She of, she did love me for the day. She yeah, loved well, me. For the dangers I passed, and, <laughs> and I loved her for she did pity them. Pity them. It, to me, yeah. that sums up the whole thing. Yeah. So again, I think Shakespeare's offering us this on one level. And since this is only a side shoot to your argument, so I agree. Yeah. I know I'm not no, no. Off. But um, that, that actually, what he's offering us here is perfect love. I mean, look how you you, you mentioned Romeo and Juliet. I mean, all the way through his plays, he's looking at you know the nature of power, the nature of, of kingship and, 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 and handling power. He's looking at the relationships between men and women. Seems to me he's always looking for this perfect balance between the masculine and the feminine. I mean, he does mm. it brilliantly in Antony and Cleopatra later on after this play, but here he's looking at, at how you manage it. And you've got this, you know, you've got this kind of match made in heaven that's that's, that's driven by desire. It's different, driven by, you know, when she says, I saw a fellow's visage in his mind, you know, mm. it was him, the person, the, the things he'd done, the, 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 the life he'd led that made me love him. Um, mm. And his visage, his face is kind of irrelevant. Come on, we all know that, that, you know, when you fall in love with someone, what they actually look like is is only a side shoot of what, of, mm. of what you love about them mm. um so um that's what's so ideal about it it could work so beautifully um but of course this is the challenge to the kind of cynicism and darkness of of of, me, of men like iago of, of yeah. an age that wants to think that women are uh, whores and strumpets um and, and that takes us back i think quite 
well to all three women and the role yes. they play because of course yeah. Desdemona if women are, are, co are commodities then women well, then Desdemona has value mm. and that value goes down with Amelia and it goes right down with Bianca who's just you know who's literally trading on her sexuality for her daily bread we're told yeah. she's a she's a she's you know she's a whore yeah. Um, uh, but, but a, high, a reasonably high class one enough yes. to kind of to, 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 to you know to, to recruit a man like Cassio Cassio um, describing himself as uh, when he's completely incredulous at the suggestion that Bianca might be um, trying to win his hand in in marriage. Yes, he describes yes. he describes himself as a customer. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, but then that's you know, and then that, that awful moment at the end of Act Four when when Asano's mind is already kind of really unturned and whatever, and he and he does that awful thing in front of the Venetian ambassador, and he mm. he he slaps he slaps Desdemona, mm. and he he. And he says, you know, he should return and turn and turn again. It's like a whole idea of women turning tricks. But, you know, that in the end, everything boils back down in this lowest of all common denominators to a woman's sexuality as her only trading power and yeah. the only thing that she's worth. Um, yeah, which is yeah. why you know Shakespeare does that so many times in, in comic in comically in plays like Much Ado About Nothing. I mean, again, let's not forget this is this is like the comic. You know, this is a tragic version of Much Ado About Nothing. Yeah. if you know the plot of that. Absolutely. So. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, yeah, we saw that fabulous version it of that. Was fab, wasn't it? Do you remember yes. the, the Mexicana one? Yes, that was so it good. Was, it made I, me cry. We were I crying, cried. We? I cried at the end of that play. I've seen that play a dozen times, yes. and it I, it was so moving. But anyway, moved, so yeah. the the idea of sexuality as commodity. Then let's yes. pick up on that for a second, because yes. one of the one of the debates that has kind of. Uh, raged about the play quietly throughout the throughout the generations yeah. is the question of whether or not uh Desdemona and Othello have consummated their marriage um oh. and there are there are key sort of definitely more pieces of evidence in the play that they haven't as in um you know they they right in the beginning of the play they're desperately seeking for time and Othello's yes. going you know we have but a little hour or whatever it is um yes. and and then we get this reference to this slightly enigmatic reference to wedding sheets towards the end of the play where yes. um, Desdemona bids Amelia to put on the wedding sheets on their bed um, yes. uh, symbolic of her hopes for some sort of positive um, well, it's a kind of leverage shot, surely. It's a yeah. love death thing, isn't it? Yeah. Really? Well, yeah. It, it, right. I was always struck by the by the, even if only on a sort of phonic level, the similarity yes. between wedding sheets and winding sheets. Sheets, yes, um, yes. Which is um, definitely playing which on. Which is definitely yeah. playing on. Um, but then, are we supposed to genuinely believe? And this is this is what the sort of critical debate hinges on. Are uh -huh. we supposed to genuinely believe that a seasoned presumably quite a bit older military man who has all of these stories to tell about all of these travels and so on yeah. is still a virgin because yeah. if his in order to fully legitimize Othello's anger right the idea that Desdemona may have cuckolded him yeah and and so much of his anger comes from this wellspring of jealousy that you yes know, of course what, what, what does he say what does he right? What does he say? I would the, one of the most horrifying lines. Oh, in the whole I, 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 I would, would rock. Right, I, I would the whole camp. 
had I not known, you know, yes, and it's yes. awful. It's yeah. the, the sentiment behind that is so degrading and terrifying. Yes. But 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 what it sort of hinges on, I think, in order to make give that jealousy its full dues, mm. we have to imagine at least the possibility that Othello himself is also still a virgin, don't we? I don't know that it seems like that oh, makes... No, I don't, I don't get that at all. I okay, think, go I, on. Yeah, I don't get that at all. I mean, you know, again, one of those key phrases right in Act 1 when, you know, when there's the moan in her case, but mm. when it's clear that Othello's got to go off and fight, then she kind of says, you know, she kind of says the rights, you know, if I don't go, I'm left behind a lot of peace. The rights for which I'm wed, married him are bereft me. You know, she wants the, uh, I mean, it seems to me that the wedding, of course, the wedding night is deferred to Cyprus. It doesn't take place in Venice because he's whisked away. But um, I think one of the great, brilliant kind of symbolic structures of the play, I mean, it's a brilliantly structured play, even though, as you pointed out, it's got this crazy uh, kind of an impossible split time scheme. So actually mm. things don't fit together. Um, because, uh, you know, there, there, there has to have been some time for all this jealousy to develop and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> yeah, it um, all unfolds in 3.3, doesn't it? It yes, suddenly yes. just comes crashing <laughs> down. Um, but, but, you know, that, with that kind of amazing arrival, final arrival of Othello um, with, with the news that our walls are done and that all, all these fighting men, I mean, again, it seems to me another thing that really needs to be made clear about this play is this is a play which is set in the army. And yes. so it's loaded with male testosterone, with these three women in the middle of it um, being hugely vulnerable to that. Um, but then the, you know, with the war, with the wars being done, which is repeated and repeated, the wedding night takes place. And of course, it's that's the night that the Othello is, is is kind of dragged from his bed to mm. deal with. Um, uh, the, the, the the disgrace of Cassio, the fight that that, that Iago has, has has literally kind of set up and made happen um, mm. by getting Cassio drunk and so on. Um, so uh, that intimacy is kind of blown apart. But no, I don't. I don't think. Uh, no, I think they, they. Again, I think for me, the play has at its heart this kind of absolute essence of of, of you know a, a happy couple. A yeah. fulfilled couple that then gets blown apart, um, and I, you know, I think again, without going into too much, I can't imagine for one minute Othello was a fiction. Even with the start of it, you know, that's not that doesn't go with the territory, does it? Really, sure. but um, yeah, um, it nearly aggravates it, I think. And of course, that's what Iago, you know, when he's describing that, you know, scene, he do you remember he uses that weird metaphor, and he says, even now, everybody was at peace, just like a, a bride and bridegroom divesting themselves for bed, and he kind of <laughs> uses all that kind of language, and then it all gets blown up. Yeah. Um, so no, yeah. I think I think sex, sexual jealousy, that green-eyed monster. Um, it's key know, to the whole thing, isn't it's it? It's key. It's, yeah. it's key to the whole thing. And it's um, argued that's what's driving Iago because we've left him out of it. I mean, he. You know, he has all these, uh, you know, someone's whispered to him that he might, you know, yeah. that his wife might have <clears throat> yeah. Twixt, um, and twixt of course, my sheets, he sheets has done my done office. My, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so I think that idea that, um, um, you know, that, that it's just this kind of male, you know, this is a problem. These men ought to be fighting. And they're not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this is a, this is a coup. This is a, this is a. A dramatic device that Shakespeare uses quite a lot. We yes. get the we get the politics as a kind of frame yeah. for 
for the real kind of human core or center of the play um, yes. and he often it's it's a great device and he uses it very efficiently where you get the the drama of the politics and the war but then the rug almost immediately gets pulled out from under our feet because at the very beginning of act two it, it you know the soldier comes on and says the wars are over yes and yes. you sort of go oh okay what what now then so it's a it's a neat little but then of course all the all the politics forms the perfect kind of allegory or or backdrop to, yes. to all of the human stuff absolutely um, so so and again just like that storm that divides i mean again we're talking about the, the brilliance of the drama here in the setting mm. you've got venice with all its um, civilized kind of affection. I saw I saw Sam Mendes production of this mm. at the National Show in the nineties, I think it was. Mm. Um, and and very simple stage, but it was just you know it was cushions on the floor and beautiful rugs and, and this exquisite music. Mm. Um, and then you move to Cyprus um, and with all the, the kind of the, the potential kind of barbarian savagery, its proximity to the to, to the Turks who as the audience uh, in 1604 would have known was, was going to take over um, after quite soon after this play was set, mm. um, it, it take over the island. So you've got all that savagery and the music of civilization turns to the kind of drums of war and battle and stuff. But between them, between Act 1 and Act 2, we've got that storm. But again, Shakespeare uses a brilliant dramatic device to kind of line up his his, his, his characters yeah. in Cyprus yeah. um, and to kind of magnify um, yeah. Desdemona's worry that, that, that the fellow won't make it. Um, and also that, I mean, we, we haven't missed that, you know, we've missed that one of the most brilliant commentaries on, on on women in this play that comes you know Desdemona terrified that a fellow's been drowned um, yeah. is trying to kind of play the civilised um, you know uh, lady calming everybody down and, and, and kind of says oh you know says to a fellow uh, to Iago tell me you know what Tell me about the idea. Of, tell me about women, and of course he gives us this absolutely truthful, spot-on description of women. You know, just being whores, basically selling everything yeah. for sale. Cats in your um, parlours and, and housewives in your beds. Cats in their and... beds, absolutely. <laughs> um, and and while we wait for a seller to turn up, and of course he does turn up in spite of the storm. And again, you wouldn't get any reminders that you know. The audience of 1604 would have had the Armada. The fact that the Armada failed yeah. to kind of defeat this country was not was less down to Francis Drake and far more down to bad seas and weathers and storms. Mm. So very real fear, and they and they reassemble and 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 everybody goes phew. Um, the storms are done, the wars are done because the ships have been destroyed in the storm. Um, but mm. of course, the real storm is always in a Shakespeare. The real tempest is the inner tempest. It's the mm. tempest of the emotions, the relationships. So mm. there you have this. Again, I think he set this wonderful stage up in Act One to lay. It then starts in Act Two to take us into this idea of you know you you've got you know a near damn perfect marriage mm. between two highly privileged and and quite extraordinary people um, who really do love each other and will find their balance and they'll find their way. But of course, the world won't let them, and in particular, the kind of nasty. Um, uh, cynicism of Sun Reader Riago will just not let this this happen. This this is you know, and again that, that he won't he won't let the posh boy, the the Cassio, um, who has a daily beauty in my his life that makes me ugly. He he won't let the decent people win. Mm. Um, so that's what we get, mm. Um, mm. and it's and it's amazing. And we've rather gone on, haven't just, we? Just to round it off, let's yes. round it off. That was good. I enjoyed that. 
Um, there's there's one, one question that I sort of started with when I when I was trying to put some thoughts together on this. Yeah. Which might be an interesting place to round off is this question of how the women of Othello how does how does female presence in Othello read for the Me Too generation? So, you know, what what bearing does it have on today, you know, where we are with all of these sort of scandals of, you know, misogyny, male misogyny mm. and, and um, over-sexualisation of women and exploitation and so on and the publicity of that today? I, I would say it's a, it's a marvellous kind of illustration of, of what you get if women are not allowed to speak for themselves, are mm. not allowed to stand up for themselves. Mm. Um, and you get that kind of complexity of, and blurred edges between, um, uh, you know, I mean, clearly Desdemona flirts and encourages yeah. the rather kind of inexperienced warrior, Othello, who's been, whose life has been war, he kind of explains. I mean, she's the one that kind of says, she, she says in a riddle, if you remember, uh, 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 that, you know, that, that um, uh, if I had a friend that loved her, and he, all he'd need to do was tell the story and she'd fall in love with him, i.e. I am in love with you. So <laughs> yeah. she kind of facilitates it. Yeah. So I, I would say that, that, again, I go back to the idea of this potential, this crux of a balance of a, of a perfect relationship between a man and a woman, by which I mean a relationship that's based on compromise and... Um, you know, so him doing his duty and she's kind of, I, I, I love Desimona. She's so, um, she's so feminine. You know, she kind yeah. of, you know, when she's trying to give him a good advice, she's saying, you know, this is like me saying, put on a warm scarf, it's cold outside, or eat that soup, it's nice, or, you know, and she, and she just wants to be a good wife. She wants to be the perfect balance to yeah. Othello's masculinity. But, but, but men like Iago, the world, well, men like a father. I mean, I'm going to blame the father. I, right. I don't want to kind of overread it, <clears throat> this, this sort of, you know, Othello for the Me Too generation, but I wonder yeah. if you, you can read Iago as being roughly equivalent to one of these, you know, terrible, overpowerful, overbearing kind Absolutely. of male characters that yeah. are... That are that we're being told so many stories about, you know, in yes, positions yes. of power that will exploit that power ruthlessly, um, but always, always with this kind of sexual undercurrent. Yes, um, yes. You know, Iago, it just Personally. immediately sexualizes the the conflict. Yes, um, yes. It, it's it's about his desires. It's about his jealousy of Cassio and his jealousy yeah. of Othello. It's yeah. about Othello's desires and Desdemona's desires. And like you said, there's sort of all of that stuff about the beast with two backs and stuff yes. earlier on. The, the the imagery that Shakespeare chooses is particularly gruesome and yes. and overtly sexual. Yeah. And and I wonder whether, you know, there is a very clear lineage leading all the way up to where we are now with Me Too Absolutely. of these aggressively yeah. sexual predatory kind of male forces. Yes. And what what more perfect dramatic situation for that kind of hotbed of male sexuality than an army barracks absolutely um, and, and, and 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 yes everything so heightened i, mean, I was going to say it's complete locker room stuff a load of oh, it yeah. isn't it it's oh, guys yeah. together um and and what's so 
What's so poignant is that, you know, when like Iago tries to draw, to draw uh, Cassio into it, now Cassio's clearly got the hots for Desdemona, it seems mm. to me, but, mm-hmm. you know, he won't fall into that long kind of, you know, um, salacious talk about her as, a, as a, you know, just, you know, again, commod- commodifying her. Mm. Um, so now I would say it's absolutely, it's straight in the line. And, it, it, and in doing so, it's got all the ambiguities that go with the whole Me Too generation, which is, mm. you know, Women want to be desirable. They want to flirt. They want to um, enjoy the chase. But what we don't want, and what these women certainly don't want, is we don't want um, uh, to be limited to only being uh, objects right. or, or, yeah. or, or drivers of desire. So, so I think, it, and again, I'm just just to just bring around to to a corner from my point of view. I would say again that that. This, this play kind of shows you what happens to men if mm. you allow that kind of thing. You, but men destroy themselves. They destroy the thing they love, and in, de- in doing that, they destroy themselves. So, mm. again, I, I, I think it's a very grown-up kind of plea for, 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 for seeing women um, as men's equals, yeah. which is outrageously... Yeah. Um, uh, 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 early before it's time. Of course, and is and is captured so brilliantly by Amelia in, in yes, you know the yes, the the, the adultery that, kind of exchange that she has. Um, but we're gonna that's gonna have to be for another time because yes. um, yeah we're we're just about out of time. But um, perhaps next time I don't know. Just sort of thinking on my feet here. So much yeah. of what we've talked about with Othello and the women of Othello would join together really nicely with yeah. a discussion of one of his plays from a couple of years later, which I know that you love, um, Antony and Cleopatra. Oh yes, please. So my maybe favorite. maybe we could maybe we could sort of continue that line yeah. of thinking and go yeah. into because I I I sort of I I would read Antony and Cleopatra very much as a kind of oh, yes, as, as yes. a continuation and an elaboration yes, of, of the yes. sorts of things that he's saying about women but anyway that's for another that's yes. for another day i'm excited um, now Sam, for that en- enjoy your <laughs> enjoy your um uh, lovely lockdown tuesday yes. and uh, do yes. some digging in the garden i'm going to do the same and, i'm gonna um, uh, tell you what i'm going to do now i'm going to stop this and great okay so if you pr- if you press stop i'm going to press stop on record on mine as